From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. Welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Friday, July 22nd, 2022, which means, if you're following at home, what that means is 7, 12, sorry, oh wow, look at that, swing and a miss. 7, 22, is the date. All right, so let's jump right in. Today is Friday, Parsha's Pinchas, we're going to conclude the Torah portion and hopefully jump into the Haftar as well, which is the first of the three weeks, the three of warning and punishment. Okay, um, I have everything ready to go on my end. Let me just share my screen with you. And the right screen here. Yeah, let's jump in. So we started a conversation about the sacrifices yesterday. We spoke about the Karban Tamid, which uh, Tamid means constant. It's the continuous offering or continual Constant offering brought every single day. We spoke about the additional consistent Shabbos, Shabbat offering, and the one that's brought every Rosh Chodesh. Now we get into the holiday offerings, the holiday sacrifices. And I know what you're thinking. This is so Leviticus of the Torah. Like why? Like Leviticus is where other sacrifices are. Nonetheless, we have it appended over here. Rashi explained yesterday a little bit about why um, the Torah segues into the into the sacrifices, but once it does so, regarding daily sacrifices, and then Shabbat sacrifices, Rosh Chodesh sacrifices, and so now we're going to go for the once a year, the annual holidays. Let's jump right in. Numbers chapter 28, uh, verse number 16. By the way, one more note. On the holidays, like Passover, for example, we actually read these, this becomes the reading for Passover, in addition to the reading about the Exodus, but this will also be part of the reading on Pesach, on Passover. All right, here we go. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, that's Erev Pesach, you shall offer up a Passover offering to the Lord. That is the Pesach, the Karman Pesach. On the 15th day of this month, a festival begins. In other words, you bring the offering the afternoon of the 14th, that night, as the 15th 15th begins, you have a yomtif, you have a holiday. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days. On the first day is a holy convocation. You shall perform, you shall not perform any mundane work. So the first day, the first day of Pesach is a yomtif day, which means it's a day of formal holiday, which is, um, which, on which, on which work is prohibited. You shall offer up, let's get to the offerings. You shall offer up a fire offering, a burnt offering to the Lord. And what does it consist of on on Passover? Two young bulls, one ram, seven lambs in the first year. They shall be unblemished for you. So two young bulls, one ram, seven lambs. That's 10 animals in total. Their meal offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil. Three tenths of of an ephah, a flour for each bull. Two-tenths of an ephah for the ram, 
you shall offer up, and you shall offer up one-tenth for each lamb for all seven lambs. We've had this formula consistently throughout the Torah. When you're dealing with a bull, you have more flour and more oil and more wine for the libation. Uh, a ram is less, and a lamb is even less. And the Torah adds one more animal and one young male goat for a sin offering to atone for you. One young male goat for a sin offering to atone for you. Like we did for on, on Rosh Chodesh, you offer a young male goat. The difference is, the difference is that when it came to Rosh Chodesh, it said one young male goat for a sin offering to the Lord. And here it says to atone for you, which is why the, the Agadah, why the Midrash tells us, or the Talmud tells us, that the Rosh Chodesh offering was for atonement for God, essentially. Right? It's, it's kind of like uh, making up for God, for diminishing the moon, as, I, as we explained yesterday. But this sin offering is atoning for you. It's not about God. You shall offer these up besides the morning burnt offering, which is offered as a continual burnt offering. In other words, in addition to the daily offering, the daily Talmud, consistent, you offer up these special Passover offerings. Like these, you shall offer up daily for seven days. In other words, like this formula that we just described should be all seven days of the holiday. Right? So every day of the seven days of the holiday, you bring two young bulls, one ram, seven lambs, and a young male goat for a sin offering. That is what you do each day of the seven days of the Passover holiday. You shall offer up this in addition to the continual burnt offering and its libation. Again, the Torah is really doubling down. It's, this doesn't replace the daily offering. It's not like on these holidays, you don't do the daily offering because you did this. No, no, no. You do the regular daily offering, standard, and then you, you, you top it off with this, with this formula. The seventh day of Pesach, a Passover, shall be also a holy convocation for you. You shall not perform any mundane work. Let me explain. So when it comes to the holidays, typically they're bookended. The first day and the last day are days that we abstain from work. The middle days, we can do work, although we kind of minimize the work so as to retain the spirit of the holiday. So the first day and the last day are yomtif, formal holiday days, no work, only holiday. The middle days are what we call chol hamoed. It's the mundane in the holiday. It's like the intermediary days. It's not a regular work day. It's not a formal holiday. You could do work, but do a little bit less. And, you know, like that, it's special prayers. But it's not like, uh, it's not like yomtif. In the diaspora, uh, meaning of which is outside of Israel, we observe two days. Two first days and two last days. So we would have two days at the beginning of Passover with no work, Tuesday, two days at the end of Passover with no work, and the middle days, that intermediary uh, time period known as, again, Chol Hamoid. Chol Hamoid means the mundane within the holiday. So you can do work, but you minimize it. Does that make sense? A little bit of a, okay. Good, good, good. Oh, oh, one more clarification. That is important. That is that the work, the abstention, the level of abstention from work on Yom Tif, on a holiday like Passover, is a drop less than the abstention from work on a typical Shabbat. So overall, the prohibition is the same. We don't work on Shabbat. We don't work on the holiday. Pretty much the same with two exceptions. Exception number one is we are allowed to cook on a holiday. Not on Shabbat. We don't cook on Shabbat. Um, nor does John Goodman roll on Shabbat or bowl on Shabbat. 
That's a big Lebowski reference. Anyway, um, but we don't we don't cook on Shabbat, but we do. You could cook on Yom Tov on the holiday, and that's derived from the verses. The second exception on Yom Tov is about carrying, like literally carrying something out of your house into a public domain on Shabbat. Unless there's an Erev, which there is around our neighborhood, unless there's an Erev, which is a topic unto itself, one is not to carry something physically, hold on to something, stepping out of a private domain into a public domain, or even within a public domain, walking more than six feet. One is not to carry something more than six feet within a public domain on Shabbat, unless there's an Erev. Again, unless there's an Erev, which we have. Sandrine, are you in the Erev yet? Or we're still working on that? I think we're still working on that. Um, I, I think we're, st- I mean, as of last Shabbos, I didn't see Shabbos. So. Got it. You <laughs> haven't got the thumbs up yet. Yeah. Got it. Soon. Um, okay. Soon, yeah. It's happening. Then, so that is also the exception. On Yom Tif, on the holiday, like on Passover, for example, you are allowed to carry. You could carry from your house to outside, within the outside, more than six feet. Go nuts with the carrying. All right. Um, the Erev, just so you know what an Erev is. You might hear this word Erev. You might know what it is. An Erev essentially is a series of... I didn't get that. Could you try again? That's awkward. A series, not Siri. You guys hear that? Did you guys hear that male voice? Yeah. That was... That was S-I-R-I thinking that I called him or her. I don't know. I have a male version of the voice. Yeah, no, it's a series. Man, this thing is very attentive. Um, of frames. So imagine, imagine a door frame, right? It's got a post, another post, and a thing on top, right? Boom, boom, boom. It makes like the letter Ches. Boom, boom, boom. So if you put a series of those, they have to be spaced out relatively, you know, whatever, within a certain amount of space. If you have a post, a post, and a line on right on top of those two posts, and you basically frame it out, frame out an area, that becomes a connected domain, and it no longer has the status of a public domain, which means every house inside that surrounded area you can take something from your house to the street as long as it is enclosed within that framed area. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah? Within feet? Is it still within six feet? No, 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 no. You can carry more than six feet. In other words, if there's an Erev, again, the Erev, yeah. I wish I had something. Are you um, talking about like a, oh, go ahead, Ray. No, 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 go. Go, go, Sarah. Are you, are you talking about like a walled city? Like, take it outside if there are these... Sort, sort of. It basically renders it officially walled in, but it's not actually a solid wall. Imagine a post and a post and a line on top or another post on top, and it's open. It's open. It's just a, a thin post, thin post, and a top. So imagine you're framing it out, and you have a series of... Um, and I'm, I'm looking around like a, like a wild man. I don't know what, what am I looking for. I'm looking for an air of here. It's not happening. But basically an air of... Exactly, or but it's but it's not three dimensional. It's just two dimensions. But I mean, if that's a thing, real life is three dimensions. Imagine a staple. Imagine a staple. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Imagine you take yeah. a series of staples, right? And you make 
You can make a square, you can make a circle, you can make a triangle, whatever shape you want to make, but you put a bunch of them, right? So that they, and, and eventually they, they come around full circle, right? They come around and, uh, and make the full circuit, make the loop. Anything inside that Eruv is now considered to be its own Eruv in domain. You could take within that area, you could take from the house to the street, within the street, you can carry no problem whatsoever, good to go. So what we do, in the interest of expediency, is we use, whenever possible, telephone poles. Stay with me for a second. Telephone poles. You got a pole, you got another pole, and you have lines that go right on top. Boom. Now, with a caveat, not always does it work because some of the big fancy schmancy telephone poles or electric poles, they have these big things and then they have branches and the lines go on the sides and not right above the post. Does that make any sense what I'm saying? Okay. All right. We're going to go on location. We're going to go on location. Now it's getting serious. All right. I have here a post that I've used to support the Arif in the past. All right. I may speak softly, but I carry a big stick. Um, anyway, imagine, right? Imagine you have a post here. I don't know what we're doing here. All right. A post here. I don't know why I'm opening up the door. I'm just randomly doing things at this point. Right? You have a post here, a post here, and then a post on top. Okay? So it's a fr- you're just framing it out. Think of literally a door frame, an open frame, but you have the post and you have the top. So as long as you have that surrounding a certain area and it, and it encompasses and it, and, it, and, it, and it closes, it can't be like three sides. You know, oh, we almost got around. No, it's got to go all the way around. Then it is Erevd. So, Joy, I don't know um, what the status is where you are right now, but where you live in the ATL, you are in the Erev. I know that. You are in the Erev. The Erev goes on ponds to Briarcliff and then up toward Emory, um, and then it loops all the way around by Piedmont, Monroe, and then it loops around over here on Ponce Place. So that's kind of, and back to, back to Ponce Ave. So do that's, you cross this Briarcliff or do you stay on my side of the street? It's on the other side of Briarcliff. Okay. It's on the other side of Briarcliff until a little bit up and then it crosses over. Basically, the goal of, a, of an efficient Arab is to use as many existing poles and, and lines as possible because otherwise it's a massive construction project, as you can imagine. And it's bucket trucks and it's cities and, 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 and it's a whole fiasco. So you just try to use as many existing, you know, situations as possible. Make sense? Ish? It could be, it's a problem, I guess, in New York where they have mostly buried cables. A lot of buried cables. That would be a problem. Yeah. I mean, you just have to create posts or, or, or you don't, and then you can't, and then you just, that's it. Now, the problem is, you know, a problem is that one of the challenges is pushing the stroller, for example, right? Pushing the stroller is considered carrying. Now you're going to say, well, it's not carrying, I'm pushing the stroller. doesn't matter. Pushing a stroller is equivalent to carrying, which means that in a, uh, let's say, a Jewish neighborhood in which there is no Erev, you got a baby, you're at home for Shabbos. You with me? That's, that's where the problem comes in. You're kind of stuck at home. That's no fun. So that's why you'll find that the vast majority of established Jewish communities will have an Erev for the, um, for, the, uh, uh, um, for the benefit of the community. Now, there was a great, and Google this, you might find it. There was a great John Stewart 
bit years ago. There was a whole kerfuffle in the Hamptons, in like the very posh area of the Hamptons, where there were there were enough Jews that wanted to get together and create the Eruv. And again, the Eruv is essentially invisible. And let, I mean, it's and let, sometimes you have to fill it in. So you take a little line, you know, you, you just make it happen. You take a little line, so wherever you have to fill it in. And the people, so there were people that were protesting. No, we don't want the Eruv. Now, who do you think was protesting? If you had a guess, who do you think was protesting the Eruv? No one cares about the Eruv. Jews. Jews were, which Jews? Jews that didn't want the Orthodox moving in. In other words, like, oh, once we build an Eruv, then we're going to get so many Jews that care about the Eruv. We don't want that. We want to keep Hamptons exclusive and not open to people that would otherwise need an Eruv. So one of their, uh, one of the Daily Show, John Stewart shows, um, uh, my phone is ringing off the hook in case you're wondering, and, I, and I've silenced it, and I'm not sure exactly what's going on. I thought I've silenced it about three times now. I don't know. So that's just me explaining my life right now. Anyway, getting back to the story, it's hilarious. This guy is interviewing the, the different sides of the debate. It was like it was like years ago. It was like probably 15 years ago. And he sits down with the, the, the Jewish guy who's opposed to it. He's like, what does the Arab look like? He says, it's like this very thin line. Again, when you fill it in, you can even use like fishing line, like very thin He's like, so what does it look like? It's very thin fish line. You can't see, you can't really see it. He's like, so that bothers you? He's like, yes. Though you can't see it, yes. <laughs> and it was very funny. You, just, you know, the, the humor there is like very dry and sarcastic. Um, then the guy like wears a hat with like an air of, uh, just like a, you know, and he's eating a cheeseburger. He's like, in meeting with the rabbi, he's like, so is this okay then if it's in the air? He's like, no, no, no. Anyway, but that's, the guy wasn't sure. So back to the story. It was just a very humorous bit. Um, on, wow, this was a, a bit of a, a bit of a trek. My son right now is in the Grand Canyon. Um, I don't know, in the Grand Canyon, but at the Grand Canyon from LA, they drove, whatever, they're by the Grand Canyon right now, having uh, Shabbos in Arizona. Anyway, so he was just, we were just FaceTiming uh, um, a few minutes ago. And he showed, why am I saying that? Why am I saying that? I have no idea. Oh, maybe because detours, taking detours. Eru. No, I think just, no, I think it might, no, I think it was just talking about the context, the concept of of a detour. Anyway, so he, they took detours. I'm taking a detour. But back to the story, back to the script, the Torah is telling us, the first day or days in the diaspora of the holiday and the last day or days are the yumptive days that are that were uh, on which work is prohibited. The middle days, again, it's fine. Uh, we just try to minimize it in the spirit of the holiday. Um, the exception of the first and last days, the difference between that and Shabbos is Shabbos, you can't cook, you can't carry, amongst other things. You also can't cook and carry. Um, but on yumptive, you can cook and carry. And I know when I say you can carry... In, in America, 2022, that mean, might mean something else. <laughs> Jewish law says you can carry on Yom Tif. But again, that's not what I mean necessarily, although, but um, you can carry something outside and in public domain. We are not going to get into um, political debates. Back inside. Back inside to our text. On the day of the first fruits, and you're probably wondering, what is the day of the first fruits? That is a euphemism for Shavuot, the next holiday. We're done with Passover, we're on to Shavuot. On the day of the first fruits, when you offer up a new meal offering to the Lord on the festive, on your festival of weeks, 
Shavuot means weeks. It shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall not perform any mundane work. By the way, Shavuot, unlike Passover, which is a seven holiday, Shavuot is a one day holiday or two days in the diaspora. You shall offer up a burnt offering back to the sacrifice. You shall offer up a burnt offering with a spirit of satisfaction to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in the first year. Again, the same ten animals, the two bulls, one ram, seven lambs. Their meal offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths for each bull and two-tenths for the ram, one-tenth for each lamb, for all seven lambs. Again, the same algorithm. And, and don't forget, one young male goat to atone for you. You shall offer this up on Shavuot, on the holiday, besides the continual burnt offering and its meal offering. They shall be unblemished for you, as well as their libations. Let's stop here. Randomly, I mean, it's the it's a chapter break, although it's not, you know, OG chapters, but nonetheless, might as well pause here for a moment and do some Rashi's. We've done Passover and Shavuot. Let's see. Rashi, you shall refrain from all manner of mundane work, even essential work, such as the prevention of loss, which is permitted on the intermediate days of the festival, is forbidden on the festival itself. And that's what I talked to you, what, that's what I mentioned before. You are allowed to do some work on the intermediate days of the festival called Chol HaMoed. Um, but on the holiday itself, first and last days, not, not permitted. Um, bulls, why do we bring bulls? Rashi, corresponding to Abraham, about whom it says, unto the cattle did Abraham run to feed the three angels who visited him. All right, so bulls is connected, bulls are connected to Abraham. Ram, symbolizing the ram, sacrifice instead of Isaac, so that's the Isaac connection. Lambs, I'm sure you can guess where this is going. Corresponding to Jacob, of whom it says, Jacob separated the lambs. And I saw this in the commentary of Moshe Adarsh and the preacher. All right, so basically, here we have this ancient teaching, this correlation. We have two bulls, one ram, seven lambs. Bulls correspond to Abraham. Ram corresponds to Isaac. Lambs correspond to Jacob. The three patriarchs are thus represented in the holiday offerings. Okay, like these you shall offer up daily. They should not be de- uh, decreased progressively, as is the case of the bulls of the Sukkot festival. On Passover, you bring the same number of animals every day of the holiday, all seven days of the holiday. Now, we moved on to Shavuot, day of the first fruits. The festival of weeks, Shavuot, is called the first fruits of the wheat harvest because of the two loaves, which are the first of the wheat offerings to be brought from the new crop. Essentially, basically, let me just simplify this. On Shavuot, one of the things that was done was you brought an offering of loaves, two loaves, from the brand new wheat harvest. So it's called now the first fruits Fruit not like apples, oranges, and peaches, but fruits as in fruits of the earth, referring to the wheat and referring to the bread, the new, the new wheat bread offering that was brought on Shavuot. All right, they shall be unblemished as well as their libations. Even the libations shall be unblemished. Aha, and now you're wondering, how can wine be unblemished? An animal can get injured, can have a broken leg. Don't bring that one as an offering. But what's with the wine? Rashi says, our rabbis learn from here that wine that is turned moldy is unfit for libations. Don't bring the moldy wine. Sorry, not, not appropriate to pour on the altar. Okay, that makes sense to me. Don't bring your moldy wine for God. Done. It's a lesson in life. Numbers chapter 29. And in the seventh month, that's Tishrei, coming up by the way soon. Seventh month, on the first day, that's Rosh Hashanah. There shall be a holy convocation for you. That means it's a holiday. You shall not perform any mundane work. It shall, it, is a, it shall be a day of shofar sounding for you. Boom. If you ever wonder, where does it say in the Torah that you blow the shofar in Rosh Hashanah? There you go. Numbers chapter 29, verse 1. Amongst other places. Let's continue. You shall offer up a burnt offering for a spirit of satisfaction to the Lord. 
And once again, oh, um, no, it's different. It's different. One young bull, one ram, and seven lambs in the first year, all unblemished. The other holidays had two young bulls, if I recall correctly. Let's see. Two bulls, Shavuot. Two bulls on Passover. However, Rosh Hashanah, one bull, one ram, seven lambs, nine animals total. All unblemished, and their meal offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil. Again, same formula: three tenths for the three tenths for the bull, two tenths for the ram, and one tenth for each lamb for the seven lambs. And one young male goat. All of those were burnt offerings, and one young male goat as a sin offering to atone for you. This is just to clarify for the fourth time. This is besides. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. This is new. This is brand new. This is besides the burnt offering of the new month. Because Rosh Hashanah is also Rosh Chodesh. Are you with me on this? Rosh Hashanah, the first day of the year, is also the first day of Tishrei. So it's a, it's a triple whammy. You have the daily offering, the Rosh Chodesh offering, and the Rosh Hashanah offering on the same day. So this is besides the burnt offering of the new month and its meal offering and the continual burnt offering and its meal offering and their libations as prescribed for them as a spirit of satisfaction, a fire offering to the Lord. I am going to make sure that that is clear. Basically, on the first day of Tishrei, you have three sets of offerings. The daily offering, every day of the year. The Rosh Chodesh offering, once a month, for every all 12 months. And the Rosh Hashanah offering, once a year. That's it. That's all I got for the clarification. Let's move on. And on the 10th day of this month, of the 7th month, which is, of course, Yom Kippur, there shall be a holy convocation for you. Again, it's a holiday. And you shall afflict your souls. Hence, the fasting, etc. You shall not perform any work. You shall offer up a burnt offering to the Lord for a spirit of satisfaction. How much? How many animals? One young bull, one ram, seven lambs. In the first year, they shall all be unblemished. Same as Rosh Hashanah. And their meal offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil. Three tenths for the bull, two tenths for the ram, one tenth for each lamb. For the seven lambs, a young male goat for a sin offering besides the atonement sin offering and the continual burnt offering, its meal offering and their libations. So we have... A young male goat for a sin offering, and that is in addition to the actual atonement offering of, of Yom Kippur and the continual burnt offering every day of the, of the year and the meal offering and libations. Let's do Rashi, and then we're going to close out with reading number seven. Stay with me, please. Okay, here we go. Um, very sparse Rashi. This is besides the burnt offering of the new month. The additional offerings of the beginning of the month, which is on the first day of the new year, again, Rosh, Rosh Hashanah is also, Rosh Chodesh is also a day of the year. Therefore, you have three things. Um, now, the young male goat of Yom Kippur is offered besides the atonement sin offering. That's what we just read. The goat offered up, i.e., whose blood is sprinkled in the inner chamber, mentioned the portion of Akhremot, that as that too is a sin offering. So there's really two sin offerings that are brought on the day of Yom Kippur. The one that's brought into the Holy of Holies and what, like the whole atonement, the whole Yom Kippur service. And then like a young male goat for sin offering that's brought... Yeah, Rosh, Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Hashanah, holidays, etc. Um, and the continue, including Yom Kippur, the continual burnt offering, besides the regular burnt offering, you shall offer these burnt offerings and the libations. This refers to the, to the additional offerings which are stated and to the phrase, you shall offer up, which is not written, but implied. This denotes a command. Besides the continual burnt offering and its meal offering, you shall offer up these and their libations. All right, I'm, I'm keen on, on moving on to reading seven. Let's go. Numbers chapter 29. And on the 15th day of the seventh month, it's a busy month. We had Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and now we have Sukkot. 
There shall be a holy convocation for you. It's a holiday. You shall not perform any mundane work, and you shall celebrate a festival to the Lord for seven days. It's another seven-day holiday like Passover. You shall offer up a burnt offering, a fire offering for a spirit of satisfaction to the Lord. Wow, get ready as we name list a lot of animals. Third, not two, not one bull, not two bulls, 13 young bulls, two rams, 14 lambs in the first year. They shall all be unblemished. When it comes time for Sukkot, all bets are off. Floodgates are open vis-a-vis animal offerings. The sheer number of animals, 13 bulls, two rams, 14 lambs. That's a whole parade. That's a whole, that's a whole procession of animals. All right, and their meal offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths for each bull for the 13 bulls. That's a lot of of meal offerings. Two-tenths for each ram for the two rams, and one-tenth for each lamb for the 14 rams. And one young, always, and one young male goat for a sin offering. Besides the continual burnt offering every day, the daily offering, it's meal offering and it's libation. Now that's the first day of Sukkot. What about the second day? And by the way, in case you're wondering, yes, we're going to go through each day, unlike all of the other days, sorry, unlike Passover, which had the same static offering brought each of the seven days, this one has a different number of animals brought each day. And wherein lies the difference? In the bulls. The the number of bulls offered decreases each day. Day one was 13 young bulls. Day two, 12 young bulls. And on the second day, 12 young bulls. The rest is the same. Two rams, 14 lambs, and the first year all unblemished. And their meal offerings, the libations for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, according to the number as prescribed. And And one young male goat for sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its meal offering, and their libations. So in other words, everything else is the same. The bull, the number of bulls offered decreases by one. And on the third day, once again, it decreases 11 bulls. Two rams and 14 lambs in the first year, all unblemished, and their meal offering and their libations for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, according to their number as prescribed, and one young male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its meal offering and its libation, verse 23. And on the fourth day, 10 bulls, 13, 12, 11, now 10. Two rams, 14 lambs in the first year, all unblemished, their meal offerings and the libations for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, according to their number as prescribed, and one young male goat. For sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its meal offering, and its libation. And on the fifth day, nine bulls, two rams, and 14 lambs in the first year, all unblemished, and their meal offerings and their libations for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, according to their number as prescribed, and one young male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its meal offering, and its libation. And on the sixth day, Eight bulls, two rams, and 14 lambs in the first year, all unblemished, and their meal offerings and the libations for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, according to their number as prescribed. And one young male goat for a sin offering besides the continual burnt offering, its meal offering, and its libations. And on the seventh day, finally. And on the seventh day, we're all the way down to seven bulls. We start at 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7. Two rams, 14 lambs in the first year, unblemished, and their meal offering, their libations for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, according to their number as prescribed for them. One young male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its meal offering, and its libation. And now the Torah has a surprise. Surprise! We said it's a seven-day holiday, but if you act now, you'll get an eighth day. The eighth day, 
shall be a time of restriction for you. What does that mean, restriction? Simply, it means you shall not perform any mundane work, as the Torah says. A day of restriction means holding back from work. But it means something much more than that. After seven days. All right. Let me, let me bundle this idea into another idea. I'm going to give you a bundle package. If you count up, if you do the math of the bulls, 13 plus 12 plus 11 plus 10 plus 9 plus 8 plus 7, I'll do the math for you in my head. Carry the 3, done. 70. It totals, it totals 70. 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7 equals 7, 0. There were 70 bulls brought on over the first 7 days over the, over the seven days of Sukkot. Why 70 bulls? As Rashi and all the commentators explain, and the Talmud says, it corresponds to the 70 nations of the world. Essentially, on Sukkot, there's a bit of a global celebration. And the Jewish people bring offerings on behalf of all the nations of the world. All the nations. And, and, and the reason why the number decreases could have been 10 a day. Why don't you just go, you want to set... Oh, 70 over 7 days, again, easy peasy, 10 a day, no. It's specifically done in descending order to symbolize that let the, the, the anti-Semitism or whatever, let the animosity, sometimes the bruise in the world, let that decrease. So we want to bless the nations, but we want the, the, the hate sometimes, right? We want the, the hate that sometimes rears its ugly head to decrease and diminish that there shouldn't be any fighting. Beautiful. God says, the eighth day, one more day. But this time, just me and you. That's the day of restriction. As Rashi points out, based on the Medrash, it's kind of like a king or a father is throwing a party for many people. And when all the guests leave and everyone's about to go, he says to his family, stay here for a little bit longer. Like, don't go. Just you guys stay here with me. It's like a beautiful thing. God says to the Jewish people, give me one more day. One more day. But this time, it's not about the. It's not about the big party. It's not about the. It's not about the the neighborhood. It's not about the community. It's not about the city, the state, the world. It's about you. It's about mishpach. That's what the Torah says. That's the meaning, according to the commentaries. Of what it means that it's their restriction. Restriction means you and I together. Stay back. Don't leave yet. Stay with me. You shall offer up a burnt offering, a fire offering, for a spirit of satisfaction to the Lord. And and what's the offering? One bull. We did 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, and now we're down to 1. Why? This represents not the nations of the world, the 70 nations, but the one Jewish people. One bull, one ram, seven lambs, in the first year all unblemished. Again, the, the operative thing here is the one bull. Their meal offerings and their libations for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, according to their number, as prescribed, and one young male goat for a sin offering. Besides the continual burnt offering, its meal offering, and its libation, these, or here's the summary, here's it all comes together, these you shall offer up, for the Lord on your festivals. Besides, this is what's mandatory. Besides, for your besides your vows and voluntary offerings, you can bring whatever you want in addition. But this is what's required for your burnt offerings, for your meal offerings, for your libations, and for your peace offerings. This is what's obligated to offer to the Lord on the holidays. Now, very important in the on the Jewish calendar, we have a holiday called Sukkot. It's a seven-day holiday. And then we have the eighth day. We call it by a different name. We call it Shmini Atzeret. That means the eighth day of restriction. To this very day, we literally call the holiday Shmini Atzeret. And that's the words that it, we translated before. The eighth day of restriction. Shmini is the eighth. Atzeret means 
restriction, God's hug, God's embrace. It's the eighth day of restriction. And that is also, so in Israel, that is also Simchat Torah. Shemini Atzeret and Simchat Torah the same day. In the diaspora, we have two days. Again, we have two days at the beginning of holiday, no work, and two days at the end. So we have one day called Shemini Atzeret. And the ninth day of the holiday in the diaspora, we call Simchat Torah. That's when we dance with the Torahs and celebrate the gift of Torah. That's just a bit of a clarification. All right, questions or comments thus far? Good? Makes sense, more or less? Okay, let's jump back in. Let's do some Rashi. Okay, let's see what we got here. Rashi. Um, yeah, the bulls. The 70 bulls of the Sukkot festival correspond to the 70 nations, which progressively decrease in number, right? The bulls decrease in number, symbolizing the, the, the nation's destruction. It doesn't mean destruction. It means, it means mitigating, as the commentators explain on this commentary, it means, it means diminishing the, the negativity amongst the nations. At the time of the temple, they, the sacrifices shielded them from adversity. Look at that. At the time, let's just read that line again. At the time of the temple, when the temple stood in Jerusalem, these sacrifices, these 70 bulls of Sukkot, shielded the nations from adversity. It actually protected the nations of the world. In fact, the Talmud says, as a footnote to this, it's not here in Rashi, but the Talmud says that if the nations of the world only knew how beneficial the temple, the Jewish temple was for them, they would have never destroyed the temple. In fact, they would have put, they would have stationed battalions, garrisons, I don't know what a garrison is, but that's the word that I recall from the translation, garrisons, troops around the Jewish temple to make sure that it never fell. But they didn't know. They destroyed it. All right, back inside, let's go. The lambs corresponding to Israel who are called a scattered lamb. Their number remains constant. It was 14 a day. And it totals 98, 98 lambs, to counter the 98 curses related in Mishnah Torah in the book of Deuteronomy. On the second day, it's... Um, all right, it's only going to work in the Hebrew, but let's try it. On the second day, it says, Veniskehem, and their libations, related to the two daily continual offerings. The language of Scripture varies only for expository purposes, following our sage of listen, memory you said, it's... I'm... I know this is not going to make sense in the English, but we're going to do it anyway. On the second day, Veniskehem. On the sixth day, Unasacheha. And the seventh day, Kemishpatam, instead of Kemishpat. So there's, there's a few textual, although the, the, the verses are very similar and, rep, and repetitious, there's a few textual um, anomalies. The additional letters of these, in these three words are Mem, Yud, and Mem, which form the word Mayim, water. This suggests that the ceremony of water libation during the festival of Sukkot is of Torah origin. On Sukkot, instead of just bringing the offerings and the flower um, offering and pouring the wine, they poured water on the altar. They poured water. Special water drawing and water pouring thing. And it seems to be somewhat rabbinic in origin, but there's a hint. When you look at these verses, there's a, an extra mem, yod and mem amongst these verses. Mem, yod, mem spells the word mayim, water, Hence, a hint to this to this um, to this uh, um, tradition. The eighth day is a time of restriction. So, simple meaning is restriction from restricted from working, as I mentioned, 
And then, of course, another interpretation, which I also mentioned, is restrain yourself from leaving. God says, don't go yet. This teaches that they were required to remain in Jerusalem overnight. Um, and the word at Sarah is expounded in Agada as follows. For throughout the, the days of the festival, they brought offerings symbolizing the 70 nations. And when they came to leave, the, God said to them, please make me a small feast so that, I, so that I can have some pleasure from you alone. Let's hang out together, just you and me. One bull and one ram on, the, on that eighth day, these correspond to Israel. As God says, remain with me a little longer. It expresses his affection for Israel as like children take leave from their father. It says to them, it is difficult for me to part with you. Stay one more day. It is analogous to a king who made a banquet and on the last day his closest friend makes a small banquet for the king. All right. The Torah teaches common courtesy. Someone who has a guest and wants him to feel at home, on the first day he should serve him fattened poultry. On the following day he should serve him fish. On the following day beef. On the following day, pulses. On the following day, vegetables, progressively diminishing. <laughs> what? As is the case of the, the festival bulls. How is that one wanting to feel at home? That's kind of kicking them out. It's like, imagine first day, oh, we go big. Next day, uh, small. Uh, eventually, it, you want food, it's on you. What's the message there? All right, I'm no longer being hosted here really uh, generously. Uh, somehow, I'm obviously missing something. You have to look up the source here. But Rashi says this teaches us common courtesy by diminishing the uh, the food. Maybe it means, oh, 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 maybe it's counterintuitive. Yeah, could it be? Could it be? Don't quote me on this. But maybe it means that as the guest stays longer, it becomes less about a show and more about eating what the family eats. Does that make sense? A little bit more integrated. It's like we don't always do, always do sous vide duck on a Wednesday night. First of all, I've never had sous vide duck. I don't even know if that's a thing. But theoretically, I'm just trying to think of something fancy. I don't know if that is fancy or not. But imagine you did, you had a guest and you had that. And then the next day you also did something fancy. But like three weeks later, it's like, all right. Pasta and cheese. But maybe counterintuitively, although it's less schmancy, fancy schmancy, but maybe it's more at home because that's what everyone's eating and that's... Does that make sense? Maybe? Maybe not? I don't know. That's a thought. And of course, it's the thought that counts. All right. Um... These you shall offer up uh, uh, for the Lord on your festivals, a matter fixed as an obligation, that's obligatory. Besides your vows, uh, Rashi, if you wish to pledge offerings during a festival, it is considered a mitzvah for you to fulfill your vows during the festival. All right, so you can, you can add on your own, but this is what's required. Alternatively, vows or voluntary offerings which you pledge throughout the year should be brought on the festival, lest one find it difficult to return to Jerusalem to offer up his vows. Interesting. So throughout the year, if you make a pledge to the temple, when do you bring it? When you come for the holiday. Consolidated uh, with the result that you will transgress the prohibition of you shall not delay in paying your vows and pledges. In other words, if you are not doing it in the holiday, then you have to make a special trip, then it might become burdensome, you might not do it, you may violate the pledge. So, therefore, just make sure to rather time it or say that I'm going to give it when next time I go to Jerusalem, and that way it's your, your pledge is covered, your commitment is honest. 
Let's continue. Moses spoke to the children of Israel. This verse is written to make a pause. These words of Rabbi Shmuel. Since up to this point, the words of the omnipresent were stated in the following chapter. Deals with vows, uh, dealing with vows begins with the words of Moses. It was necessary to make a break first and say that Moses repeated the chapter of offerings to Israel. For if not so, it would imply that he did not tell this to them, but began his address with a chapter discussing vows. All right. Basically, Rashi says that this verse is kind of like the space in between the end of this Torah portion and this discussion and the beginning of next week's Torah portion, which speaks about the, the laws regarding vows. I want to jump right into the Haftorah, and we're going to read it quickly, and uh, we're going to get the energy of, it's not a long Haftorah, we're going to get the energy of the Haftorah. If you join Wednesday night, or listen to the recordings, or watch the recordings, this will sound familiar. The, the, the Haftorah this week, for the next three months, the Haftorahs are not going to uh, necessarily fit the Torah portion, it's going to fit the time of year. We find ourselves in the three weeks, the time between the 17th of Tammuz and the 9th of Av, when the temple was destroyed. And so we read um, sections from the books of the prophets where they admonish the people and exhort them and encourage them to mend their ways to avert tragedy or to repair tragedy, which is, of course, a timely message uh, this time of year in the Jewish calendar. Jeremiah chapter 1, the words... The words of Jeremiah, son of Chilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, Yoshiah, Yoshio, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. And he was in the days of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11 years, until the end of 11 years of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the exile of Jerusalem in the fifth month. So he was the prophet from, he, Jeremiah was, a prophet, from the days of Josiah in the 13th year of his reign until the exile of Jerusalem in the fifth month. By the way, Wednesday night, for those that join Wednesday night, I misspoke. I misspoke. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to correct myself. I mentioned that Jeremiah, this prophet, was murdered for prophesying about the temple's destruction. He was not. That was a different, that was a different prophet. Zechariah, Zechariah, not Jeremiah, Zechariah. Zachariah was murdered. I got my Zacharias and my Jeremiah's confused, so apologies. Um, Jeremiah wrote it out to the end, and then whatever happened to him happened to him. It was Zachariah, another prophet who was prophesying about the same stuff, who they murdered. Let's get back inside to our Haftorah. And the word of the Lord, so Jeremiah is speaking, the word of the Lord came to me saying, when I had not yet formed you in the womb, I knew you. And when you had not yet emerged from the womb, I had appointed you a prophet to the nations I made you. In other words, you were destined for this prophecy, for this mission from your conception and even before. And I said, God said, and I, oh, sorry. And I, the prophet said to God, alas, O Lord God, behold, I know not to speak for I am a youth. You got the wrong guy. I'm too young to be a prophet. Well, who am I to, uh, to, to speak the word of God? And the Lord said to me, say not, I am a youth. Don't use that as an excuse. For wherever I send you, you shall go. Whatever I command you, you shall speak. Fear them not, for I am with you to save you, says the Lord. And the Lord stretched out his hand and reached my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have placed my words in your mouth. Behold, I have appointed you over the nations and over the kingdoms to uproot and to crush and to destroy and to, dem to demolish and to, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, What do you see, Jeremiah? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. 
And the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I hasten my word to accomplish. The almond tree is the quickest fruit to grow. 21 days from beginning to end, it grows. So God says, ah, you see the rod of an almond tree. Good. I hasten my word to accomplish it. What I tell you is going to happen is going to happen quickly. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a bubbling pot whose foam is toward the north. Where was he standing that he saw an almond rod in a bubbling pot? In his kitchen, perhaps, overlooking an almond uh, tree? Who knows? Um, he sees a bubbling pot, foam toward the north. And the Lord said to me, from the north, from the north, the misfortune will break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. By the way, that's what happened. As we know, of course, the Jewish people were picked off starting from the north and then heading south. For behold, I am summoning all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord, and they will come and place each one his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem and against all its walls around and against all the cities of Judah. God is basically saying the nations will convene against Israel, against the Jewish land. And I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their evil, that they left me and offered up burnt offerings to other gods, and they prostrated themselves to the work of their hands. I am going to bring my judgment against the Jewish people. God forbid, this is what God is saying. And you shall gird your loins, be strong, and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Be not dismayed by them, lest I break you before them. Tell the people what I'm saying. It's going to come from the north. It's going to come after them. Unless they, well, it's not stated here, but the implication is unless they write their own spiritual, moral, and Jewish ship. And I behold that I have made you today into a fortified city and into an iron pillar and into copper walls against the entire land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. They shall fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. God says, I am with you. Jeremiah, I am with you in your prophecy. I am with you in your inspiration. Make it happen. Jeremiah chapter 2. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go out and call out in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, So said the Lord. I remember to you the loving, the loving kindness of your youth, the love of your nuptials, your following me in the desert and the land not sown. I remember how much you and I were in love. I remember how you followed me from Egypt into a desert. And you complained a little bit, but we were on a honeymoon together. Israel is holy to the Lord, the first of his grain. All who eat him shall be guilty. Evil shall befall them, says the Lord. If you notice, in case you're wondering, wow, that seems like a shift in theme. The answer is yes, it is a shift in theme. The first three quarters of the Haftorah talk about the impending doom and gloom. And at the end, the last three verses, or two verses, God says to Jeremiah, just remind the people how much I love them. And you know what that means? God is not writing off the relationship. God is not saying it's over, it's doomed, it's out, it's finished, see you later. God is not saying that. God is saying it's still salvageable. I still have fond memories. I still remember the love. I still remember our honeymoon, how, how in love we were. All it takes is for you to come back. I'm waiting for you. That's the message that Jeremiah was to tell the people. It's kind of a mixture of that tough Gavura message. Be careful. You're playing with fire. God's going to send like that bubbling pot. God's going to send the nations. They're going to besiege you. It's not going to be good. God forbid. It's going to be terrible. Let it not happen. But God also wants to remind you he still loves you. The door is still open. Come back. Come back home and we can avert this. So what we see here is a, is a Haftorah that is in the theme of this time period. It talks about the impending destruction, which it did happen. It did end up in destruction. The temple was destroyed twice. 
both holy temples. The people did not heed the warnings of the prophet. But we also see that ultimately, notwithstanding anything else, God still loves us. And that's how we end the Haftorah, on a note of love. You will never find Torah or Haftorah reading ending, you know, from beginning to end in abject, you know, terror and gloom. It's never going to happen. It's never going to It's always going to be an uplifting point. There's always, there's always a door open and a glimmer of, of light and a glimmer of hope. And so that's what we hold on to. We hold on to the fact that God loves us. And it's because God loves us that that's why there are consequences. As I mentioned in a class a few months ago, a Kabbalah and coffee class, Sunday morning class, if you don't love, then you don't care. Do whatever you want. I don't care. So I'm going to get uptight what you do. If I, don't, if I don't care about you, do whatever you want. Don't bother me. It's when I care. It's when I'm invested in the relationship Then what you do matters to me and it hurts me. So what God is saying is, what you do matters. I'm not angry. I'm hurt. I mean, so to speak. I don't know if God actually gets hurt. But the point is, it's a, God is impressing upon us. It's a real relationship. And in a real relationship, there are real consequences to actions. If there are no consequences, I want a consequence-free existence. You sure? Because that means there's no relationship. It might feel free, freeing, do whatever I want, but that means that by definition that there's no other. So God is saying there are there will be consequences, and I love you. And the two actually they're not they're not two different themes, they actually tie together. I hope that makes sense. So what's the moral of the story? Let's focus on the positive. God loves us. He's waiting for us to knock on that door and Lord knows. Lord knows. We are knocking on that door. We're studying Torah every day. We're doing our thing. We're praying. We're doing mitzvot. So let's keep on doing it. And God will answer our call, bring us blessing and happiness and joy and only good things. Thanks for joining me. Have a good Shabbos. Great to see you, Joy and Sarah and Ray and Sandrine. Any questions before we close out? Questions, comments? No. So I have a question about the So Yes. Uh, once in the roof, I can push a bike. Push a bike. Yeah. Yeah, no. Bi- so, yeah. Theoretically, bikes are, the, there's, there's one element with a bike. There's one X factor with a bike, specifically about a bike. Different than, than a scooter. My kids ride on a scooter. What's the difference? So your mileage may vary with this, but here's, a bike has a chain. And the chain, at least back in the day, chains could often come apart. And, and if it comes off, um, one is not allowed to fix it because that's another thing on Shabbos. You don't fix things. You don't repair things on Shabbos. That's another category of prohibition. Fixing, building, fixing. So to fix the chain would be problematic. So in order to avoid the fixing of the chain, that's why bikes might have a different status. But if you have a bike without a chain, or maybe the chain doesn't break for whatever reason. So again, I can't say hard and fast. That's when I push a bike. Say it again. If the chain breaks and I cannot put it back, that's when I push a bike. Right, exactly. Right, right, right. So again, that's where the bike, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not well-versed enough to issue an actual you know, definitive thing. But that's theoretically, yes, with the, with the only caveat about the status of the chain and the repair question. The, the temptation or the potential of you know, repairing something that breaks, 
Um, so might might render it advisable to like yeah, better not to to get involved. But again, your mileage may vary and uh, requires so further further research. Okay. Yep, no breakable parts. At least not not nothing that could be easily fixed. That would be, you know, uh, tempting to fix, as it were. Yeah. So scooters are preferable to bikes. Um, again, my bike, my, I'll be honest, my bike, um, info is going back to my childhood. That's what we, that's what we always learned and knew about bikes. Have things changed in bike technology over the years? Possible. I don't know. I don't know enough about, uh, you know, the, the specifics to, to effectively or definitively render it. I would Google it. Bikes and Shabbat. Bikes, bikes, Shabbat, Erev. And see what you find. Yeah. Although, yes. although yes. you you can't Paskin based on on Google, but it might it might bring up some modern uh, some modern thoughts on that. Yeah, that's different opinion. There you go. Not surprising. Like I, like I listened to an interesting class on uh, can you make sensor on Shabbat? Interesting. <laughs> interesting. CO two. Yep. Were you the one that asked me, or was Karen back in the day asked me about um, French press on Shabbat? I think it was Karen. I think it was Karen. Karen. I don't. I remember looking it up, and it was also one of these like complicated, like you know, some say this, some say this. a lot. Look, a lot of it depends on how the processes work. Like how how does it work? So depending on how it works, that's uh, that's kind of how it goes. All right, great to see you all. Shabbat shalom. Um, sending y'all lots of love and peace and happiness and blessings. Ray, Sandrine, Sarah, and Joy. Take care. We'll see y'all next week. Please, God. Uh, we're back. Kabbalah and coffee and Monday and uh, DPP on Monday. All that good stuff. All right. Take care. Good Shabbos. Shabbat see y'all. Shalom. Shabbat shalom. Take care. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at IntownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at IntownJewishAcademy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful day.